Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping product managers become product masters. Listen and get ready to take your career to the next level for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and this is where you make your move from product manager to product master learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so you will create products customers love. Now, if this intro sounds different to you, it's because I'm using my mobile microphone, sitting in an RV, as I'm once again on the road. As you may know, before I started this podcast, I took a year-long RV trip with my family, traveling around the U.S. I've talked about it a few times, but not too much. Along the way, I found product managers, innovators, business owners, and related thought leaders to have fascinating discussions with. When I returned from the RV trip, I started this podcast to continue having those valuable discussions and share them with others. This time, I expect to be traveling for the next three months, mostly in the northeast part of the U.S., looking for people with product management knowledge to learn from and to share with you. Now, for this episode, we have a great discussion addressing a question several everyday innovators have asked before, which is, how do I get my manager to pay for product management training? My guests will share the right and wrong ways to get your manager and organization to support your professional development. He is Matt Burns, an HR executive and winner of Canada's Most Innovative Use of HR Technology Award. You'll find the summary of our discussion at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 186. Enjoy the discussion. Matt, thanks for joining the Everyday Innovators. Thanks, Chad. Looking forward to chatting today. I am too, because you're going to help us address an important topic that has been asked by listeners before. This is one of the more common ones I get emailed. But before we dive into that, I, I reach out to you specifically because I was looking for an HR person to help us address that question. I'll leave that as a teaser just for a moment. And I saw that you won this award, the Most Innovative Use of HR Technology Award. And I thought anytime I see HR and innovation together, it catches my attention. <laughs> just tell us what that thing is about. Yeah, it's actually your really interesting story. Uh, I joined this organization, and the company I work for now is called Yisk. We're a Danish furniture retailer. Hmm. Think IKEA, but smaller format and Danish. When I joined the organization here in Canada about two and a half years ago, we essentially had no HR technology. Hmm. We were operating in a model that uh, we had a payroll system, uh, but largely all the transactional parts of HR were being done with paper, spreadsheets, the things you would have seen 5, 10, 15 years ago. Um, so when we built our strategy, technology played a key component in allowing us to scale, but also provide a service level that was what the business needed going forward. Uh, my contention is that most HR professionals did not join this profession to spend six hours behind a computer screen and do spreadsheets all day long. Right. Uh, most of them want to be forward-facing, want to be engaging with the, or- the people in the organization. So by automating and using technology, we enabled them to do that. Uh, over the course of 12 months, we procured piloted, implemented, and then integrated five disparate SaaS solutions and essentially created our own enterprise HR technology. Hmm. Uh, And we did so because, with all due respect, we were just dissatisfied with the current offering of the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of the larger established players, um, you know, they're great. They're great businesses, and they certainly have a a compelling offering. But they're generally skewed more towards large enterprises, big multinational corporations. And their stacks aren't very flexible. So, you know, a lot of the things that they would be selling you on, which is their history or the fact that their systems all talk to each other and integrate, that stuff's available today. 
with SaaS solutions. So you can speak to any single SaaS provider around the world, and most of them are going to have great API code, which for your users is used to make systems talk to one another. Sure. Um, most of them are going to have the functionality that allows users to have single sign-on, which prevents the need for multiple usernames and passwords. So there's really no reason why you can't replicate what we did and take the best of all the different disparate solutions. And then, as I mentioned before, tie them all together. Um, they call it innovation here in Canada. <laughs> I call it just doing the smart thing and trying to do the right thing for the business. Yeah, and then freeing up HR resources to do that, be able to focus on the right thing for the business, caring for the employees and helping the organization be more capable. That's right. Excellent. So, and the HR topic that I have gotten asked is, how can I get my manager to pay for training? And I wanted to dive into that and explore that with you. The disclaimer here is I do provide training, so I have some vested interest in this topic. Sure. But my reason for that is I got into training only because I went to a really good training program. In my case, the first one was the new product development professional. It's a certification for product managers from PMA. And it was such a huge aha moment for me. Mm. I just started helping other people be able to earn that certification. So I, I personally have felt the power of training and how it can propel a career. So what, what can we do to help other people that want training be able to get it paid for? First up, Matt, how common is it for organizations to reimburse for training that employees want to further their career? Uh, in my experience, it's quite common, provided the training has a direct correlation to the individual's current role, mm -hmm. or perhaps a role that the organization and that individual are collaborating on in terms of succession planning in the future. Okay. Yeah. So as long as it lines up well with what the responsibilities are, pretty common for them, for them to take care of. Yeah, what you'll find, and I guess it depends on the kind of the scope and the scale of the training. So if it's like a, you know, a day long seminar, if it relates to the, the individual's role, mm -hmm. it makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Uh, if you're talking about executive MBA programs through, you know, Ivy League schools, then it's a different conversation. It's not necessarily a no, but it may require you know, a guarantee of service post graduation. Uh, it may require a bit more due diligence with that individual supervisor to say, does the company want to make this type of sizable investment in this individual? Right. Um, so it really depends. Um, I've worked, also worked in organizations where even if the training was not related to the individual's function, there'd be partial, partial reimbursement. Uh, and that was because in that organization, we really wanted to reinforce the importance of continuous learning. And regardless of the content, we felt that learning and learning new skills or learning new competencies would benefit the organization and the individual in some way, one way or another. Mm -hmm. So we took a pretty liberal approach to that. But my experience, generally speaking, is the companies have a threshold, a budget by individual. And as long as the program lines up more or less to what the, the current state or future state is, that it shouldn't be much of an issue. Yeah, and probably being aware of that budget is helpful and knowing is. what your boundaries are. Absolutely. And and most of the product management training I've seen out there available, you know, it's on the order of a of low few hundred dollars to about three thousand dollars, right? It, it's within that sort of range. Well, and that's I think that's you know that's a very reasonable price point for training. Uh, you know, training runs the gamut of everything from free training online courses all the way to thousands and thousands of dollars. Yep. Um, one thing we do in our organization, specifically in the HR department, is we actually talk about this at the beginning of the year and, and actually carve out dollars in our budget to ensure that each member of our team gets some form of professional development. Um, they get to self-select what course they think is is best for them and their their path. Um, and our job is just to connect them with those services, perhaps introduce them to content or to providers they may not have been aware of. Uh, but we let the individual learner drive their development path. Yeah, and I've been in organizations like that too. And personally, I really appreciate that because it feels like I have ownership. If I know I have a training budget of, say, $2,500 a year that I get to use as I see fit for my professional development, 
I think that's just more, much more enabling and respectful of me as a professional. Agreed. And, and when you like uh, some things that frustrate me, and I know it's kind of the, the key, the, the tea call and the kettle black here in HR, but I'm not a big fan of bureaucracy. I'm not a big fan in, of being a helicopter parent as a business. Mm-hmm. Um, I trust our, our team members, our employees to make good judgment calls. So for me to come in at the last minute and criticize somebody's decision about a particular training or a course relevant to their own development would be for me, I think is inappropriate. I'll give you an example. I talked to somebody the other week about they want, they want to do some language training. Um, and our, in Canada here, we have two official languages, English and French. This request fell outside those two languages. But ultimately, I thought it was an appropriate request for partial reimbursement just because of the fact that if we look at international expansion in the future, that makes sense. And also, there's been lots of studies that have shown that language training period has a very positive impact on a number of other cognitive um, abilities within within, uh, professionals. So therefore, I saw it as, here's an individual who wants to make an investment in themselves. And uh, if we can help play a role in that, then we should do that. Yeah, and it's just professional development that enhances the person and uh, that has its own benefits too, and hopefully a more engaged person. For us to get started with this, so say we want to do training, maybe we're not aware of what our, our professional development budget is, or maybe there isn't a budget. Who should we start having this conversation with first? Yeah, I guess it depends on the size of your organization. So I think the first place in any organization would be your immediate supervisor. Mm-hmm. Have that conversation for a couple of reasons. First, I think it's a dialogue regarding your personal and professional development that you want to have on an ongoing schedule with your supervisor. So um, if you are lucky enough to have a coach or a mentor within your organization that's helping you grow your career, having that open and honest conversation, which would include understanding the parameters around funding and reimbursement, I think is an important discussion. Um, and um, if you have requests that may fall outside the standard guidelines, it's a great way to introduce that request um, and put it into context in terms of the value to the organization, but also the value to the individual. So in there, your immediate supervisor, your manager. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, a mentor or a coach, you mentioned that that's a good person to bring this up with. Yeah, exactly right. And I think it depends on the organization. So sometimes your immediate supervisor is not your mentor and coach on a full-time basis because of a number of very valid reasons. Sometimes those mentors and coaches in the organization can be really strong advocates for you, um, especially if they are a decision maker. Uh, the other resource that I should likely mention, given that I'm in the profession, is, of course, your human resources department in your medium to large size organizations. They can often give you some really good details so far as um, programs and, of course, uh, reimbursement uh, mm-hmm. thresholds. But having said that, one thing I would just really caution the audience to kind of consider is you don't want to simply go to human resources and believe that is your single destination. HR is meant to enable, but ultimately the most powerful relationship you're going to have is with your coach, with your mentor, or with your immediate supervisor. Right. And depending on the organization, this comes out of different budgets. In many organizations, it comes out of the manager's training budget directly. And I think I would feel a little blindsided if, if I was a manager who was wanting to have a coaching type relationship with my employees. If they went to HR first, instead of talking to me about you know their professional development, I would rather have that conversation with them because I want to be part of their coaching resources for their development. That makes a lot of sense. So good places there to go to, manager, mentor, coach, love involving if you had a, a mentor involved to get their insights into this. And then HR, certainly just find out about resource available after talking to the others. We'll get back to the discussion in just a minute. This episode of The Everyday Innovator is brought to you by Product Innovation Educators, your one place for online training to make the move from product manager to product master. 
When you enroll in one of our online courses, it's like having Chad McAllister as your personal coach. In each course, you get video lessons, added resources, and a private community for collaboration with other product managers and innovators. And, of course, you get direct access to Chad, who will answer your questions and get you heading in the right direction. Past students tell us the concepts, practices, and tools are valuable, but the real benefits they gain are being more confident, increasing their influence in their organization, and generating greater success for themselves and their company. There are four levels of training to become a product master. Find your level now. Get started by going to theeverydayinnovator.com forward slash master. You're one place to become a product master. TheEverydayInnovator.com forward slash master. Don't wait. Get started now. You talked a little bit about how to approach this, right? Putting it in the light of your role and responsibilities. Mm-hmm. But I want to dive into that a little bit more. So how, how would we have this conversation with our manager to say, hey, here's a, a course I want to take in product management to help me be a better product manager, and it's going to cost $1,000. What are the things that you would want to stress in that conversation? Yeah, it's a really good question. In this context, but also in a number of other contexts, I've heard on, on many occasions, as I'm sure you and your audience have as well, the importance of negotiation in most parts of our lives. So whether it's at home, whether it's at work, or certainly in this context, understanding the basic premise around negotiation, because you have a request and you're going to be working with another party that's obviously going to have a perspective as well. So some of the things that I'd be focusing in on in terms of the, uh, the training requirements, I think the first thing, Chad, I would say up front is, you need to establish that understanding before you have the request. So one thing I work with my coach on or one thing I work with my team on is just understanding that career path, understanding where training can help supplement and support and enable that that career path. And having that conversation and getting alignment around some of those thresholds is just so important so that when you have the actual conversation about, hey, I found this particular course and I'd like to take it, it becomes a rubber stamp versus a longer conversation around that. So mm-hmm. it's like networking. You build the relationships before you actually need them versus when you need them. because It just changes the tone of, of the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the things that I'd be talking about in that conversation, the first thing, of course, is the ROI. So clearly, you want to understand the costs of what you're requesting, but also the benefits of what it's going to provide. Um, there are some organizations that will ask you to commit to some sort of tangible output, whether it's an ROI, whether it's a series of tasks, maybe it's a project you're going to be involved with. All those things are certainly on the table. And I would just say understanding who's the decision maker and some of the things that are important to them, I think would be of value going into that conversation. And I'll give you an example. I'm somebody who likes to blend qualitative and quantitative. Uh So if I'm going to have an individual go to a learning session that we're going to make an investment in, I want to see a correlation between their future. And I want to see combinations of the quantifiable benefit they're going to have, which for me could be simply as basic as an action or a project that they do or some support they provide to another function of the business. And then on the qualitative side, I want to know what the individual is going to get from that particular experience. So is this something they're going to use the past two or three days they don't want to be in the office? Is this part of a broader plan regarding their development? Is this something about their career plan where they want to transition and go cross-functionally or perhaps internationally or into a leadership role? Getting an understanding of the ROI and the benefit to the organization and to the individual, I think, is just so important to convey that up front. Mm-hmm. You can't assume that the person that you're speaking to has that information. You have to provide that. 
but also in most cases, you're providing it to a senior leader. You want to do that in a concise um, and very efficient manner. Really good outlines there uh, or an outline of the things to kind of structure that conversation about and building the relationship first, mm-hmm. making sure that, you know, if it's your immediate manager, which I think is probably who people are most often talking to, having them aware of your professional career plans and how that fits in the organization and talking about that ROI. And another ROI example I've seen is just the kind of the brown bag presentation, right? The brown bag lunch. Of course. If you're going to go do this training, then come back and share with the group the highlights of what you've learned and uh, help us assess if other people should do this or if we should look at other things, right? That sort of thing. A great example. And with this, I suspect that there's better times to ask than other times, <laughs> especially when it comes to the career development kind of conversation. I know one time in my career when I wanted a very specific training to go to and have it paid for, I saved it up, not kind of purposely, it was just the timing lined up well, to my annual performance. Because one of the questions is almost always something like, well, what do you want to accomplish this next year as an employee of this organization? And then it's usually followed with something like, well, how can we help you accomplish that? Right. That seems like a perfect time to ask for this. A hundred percent. And I'm not going to take a a major detour and and go on a rant about annual performance reviews. But but in the majority of organizations, unfortunately, this program still exists. So I think that's a perfectly time to bring it up for a couple of reasons. First off, it's a reflection on the previous year and you're having an open conversation about performance, but also the go forward. Um, Secondly, generally, and I'm making an assumption here, managers, when they're sitting in these conversations with their employees, are generally going to give you their attention. So you have a captive audience for that conversation. Everyone knows kind of the couple of steps that are going to occur in that meeting. Mm-hmm. So there's no surprise when someone says, Hey, I want to talk about my career development. Hey, I'm looking for some sort of support. That won't come as a surprise. Um, having the conversation at Friday at 4.30 at the end of, a, of a, the financial fiscal year, mm, right. probably not timing. Um, the other reason why I like the annual evaluation cycle from a timing perspective is that generally speaking, we are either have built or are building our budgets for the next year. And therefore, we can factor in those types of considerations into the plan. We can make I can make a lot of things happen in this organization if it's budgeted. When it's unbudgeted, that's where it becomes challenging because then we have obligations we have to meet um, that extend beyond perhaps that conversation. Right. Um, and it, it just makes it more awkward because with a budget, especially in, a, in an environment like retail where margins are quite tight, um, you know, we, if we're going to make that investment, we're going to generally have to take that money from somewhere else to do that. And I'm prepared to do that in some cases. But more often than not, those funds that are allocated to other tasks are also important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. So if you can become aware of what your manager's budgeting cycle is, probably the same for the whole organization. It's the same with business development and sales. I mean, when you're when you're approaching a business from a B2B perspective or even a B2C perspective and you're trying to sell a product or sell a service, people generally have buying windows. Right. And it's exactly the same thing in this context, in a manager development context. You're going to have a window of time where your manager is primed to be able to A, allocate the funds and B, give you the time that you need for the conversation. Mm-hmm. So just maximize and understand when that time period is. Yeah. I would think a poor time to ask for this would be just any time of crunch, right? You talked about you know preparing for the fiscal year. If we're in crunch mode for some reason, like if we have a product release in a month and everyone is heads down working on that, not the best time to ask. Well, and not the best time to ask when you may have had a conversation about your performance in a, maybe not a positive context either. Right, exactly. Right. It's like, you know, maybe the hope there is, well, I know I've been doing a bad job, but if you just send me this to this training, 
<laughs> or, or maybe not quite that dramatic. I haven't had that experience too often. But what I have had is, hey, I'm really struggling. And I think this training program will help me be better. And uh, that's where you immediately lose me. I love training. I'm an HR practitioner. But as you would know yourself, training is one portion right. of a broader conversation. You, you don't send someone to training. It's not an easy bake oven. They don't pop out a new person. They have to apply the learning. They have to have the right mindset. It has to be reinforced back in the business. So training for me is one aspect of it. If I hear that somebody is struggling in their role, the first thing I want to do is provide them support with the current tools they have before we make an incremental investment in that resource. Yeah, absolutely. I just, it just struck me as funny even thinking about that. So I had to share that. So usually training, at least my experience is training is more often thought of in terms of how can we take a good performer and make that person more engaged, even better performer. Correct. Another time to ask would be on the other side of that, if you have this big product release and it's a successful release, then after that, where everyone's breathing a little bit more and you have that success to point to, might not be a bad time to ask too. 100%. Anytime you can link your request to a strategic business priority, great idea. So I'll give you an example. If you're operating in a business that does not have a presence right now in Latin America and you have plans in the next two years to go into Brazil and Argentina, then perhaps language training that is Portuguese and Spanish makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, or if perhaps you are learning to build a new platform and technology, perhaps learning to write a new form of code makes a ton of sense. So anytime that you can proactively make a request that aligns well with the business strategy, it does two things. One, it increases the likelihood of people saying yes. And two, it shows that an awareness that you know what's going on in the organization in the future and that you are making a, uh, a very genuine effort to align your own development to that of the organization that makes any you know, manager, very, very excited. What if we have this conversation and the answer is no, right? You just can't get any support at all. Mm. And you've asked at the right time, you've lined this up pretty well. You thought you did a good job talking about the ROI and there's not support there. Ideas for that? Yeah, I guess the first question I would have is why not? I think that's probably the first place I would go. I would be surprised if that wasn't entertained in the conversation. Right. I think the hardest thing to be able to, to explain is, is cost. Um, it's always a sticky situation because it, basically what you're saying is that the person that you're speaking with, the investment in their training isn't as important as other things we're spending money on, which creates a whole bunch of, but look at that and look at this. Does that make sense? And a bunch of haves and have nots. Um, having said that, understanding some of the pressures around where the no comes from would allow me, if I'm making the request, to understand how I can perhaps overcome those obstacles. Mm-hmm. So the issue is financial, as an example, demonstrating the payback in the same fiscal year around the investment should alleviate that concern. So as an example, um, if we're going to provide training to an individual that will give them skills that we project will increase top-line revenue at a greater amount than the investment in training, it's a no-brainer for us. Mm-hmm. However, if the payback is more opaque or perhaps takes a longer period of time, it's a different conversation. Um, if the if the concern is around timing, so the manager can't give the individual the time off required for the training, then there can be a conversation around sharing that responsibility, training in the off hours, perhaps scheduling at a more appropriate time. Maybe it's a no right now, but it's a yes three months from now. Understanding why the no, I think, is a really powerful conversation. But I think some folks are reluctant to ask that question because they don't know that they want to hear the answer. Right. <laughs> Because <laughs> the answer could be, we don't think that you're worth the investment because we don't see a future with you in this organization. And I don't know that someone's going to say that to you directly, but that could be the feeling you get from the conversation. And that's really, really tough to hear because if you're making a request for training, generally speaking, you are indicating 
commitment that you're making to the organization. And most people want to make sure that commitment is reciprocated. Yeah, it would be very tough to hear, but even getting some indications about that might be really good career development, right? Of course. To have a better understanding of where you are in in this organization. We are in a job market right now where it's never been more advantageous to be an applicant. Not mm-hmm. only can you work globally, which we could not do at the same level five, even five years ago, but mm-hmm. certainly not 10, 15, 20 years ago. Now you and I can work from anywhere in the world and support any company from wherever we want to be. That's a huge advantage. Secondly, we have the option now of doing a whole bunch more assignments around freelance and gig and contract. And that's now become an acceptable form of employment. Whereas if you, you know, go back again 15, 20 years ago, that would have been seen as why can't you get a full-time job? Right. Now the people I'm talking to, some of the best practitioners that I speak with do not want that full-time job. They want the flexibility and the autonomy, and they can actually extract greater rents from organizations on a freelance basis, and then also have the alignment and with their own personal aspirations or their own work-life balance expectations. Um, so some of the best individuals are setting the, prim- the parameters in which they will engage with organizations. So the game has changed in that regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes getting that feedback uh, is the best thing to your point that you can hear because it gives you some information that you can have as you assess your future that organization. So good points and all that. I wonder if we could just bring this home a little bit by doing a little role play. Sure. And you sound like you'd be a really good person either on the manager side or asking for this. But I'm going to ask you to take the position of the employee that is asking for training and I'll I'll try to take on the manager role. I have to be polite, don't I? Well, you know, the, the, this is a family friendly <laughs> show, so I'm just teasing. <laughs> so yeah, so say, say you you stop by my cube or office or whatever it is. Fantastic, Chad. It is Friday morning. How are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for asking. Great. Any plans for the weekend? Um, I, I'm hoping that I might be able to get to a baseball game. Oh, great. I guess it just started off the season. So, you know, I'm not a particular big baseball fan myself, but I, I can relate to that in terms of sitting at the stadium, hot dog in hand, beer in the other. I mean, it's a great experience. So I hope you have a good time this weekend. Yeah, thanks. I, I think I'm going to try to take my son and, and uh, just have a good time together. And I'm sure there'll be a hot dog in our future. Excellent. Hey, I wanted to ask you about something, if you have a couple minutes. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. So we've been talking lately about my professional development and my growth here in the organization. Uh, and I, I've done some thinking about our past conversations. I've done some additional research and there's something I want to present to you for your feedback um, as I consider my future in the role that I'm in. Okay. You, I, I usually have these conversations, you know, during our annual performance time. That's coming up in three months for us. W- would you mind waiting till then? I think that's a fair request. Um, and I'm happy to delay the decision until then, but I would feel great if you spare the time just to walk through what I'm thinking. Okay. Yeah. Why don't you go ahead and tell me, tell me what you're thinking about now? Yeah. No problem at all. Um, so what I'm thinking is in my current role, uh, I feel like I've made a lot of progress in the last year. Uh, we've had some really great results in the department. Um, and I think that in terms of, if I look at my professional development through really objective eyes, I think I've made some really good progress, but I think there's still progress to be made. And as I consider my future with the organization, I've identified this particular skill that I think would really help me take the next level and provide incremental value to the organization. Um, so with that being said, let me walk you through uh, this particular program uh, and get your feedback on it. Okay. And, and Matt, just before you go there, maybe we don't talk about this enough. I just want, want to agree with you that I am seeing those contributions you're making and, and certainly support you being a valuable part of this team. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, it's, sometimes it can feel like we're with hard days and long hours, but it's just nice to know that people are seeing that. And I, and I certainly do appreciate that. And that's why I feel so comfortable coming to you with this type of request. Sure. Well, yeah, tell me more. 
So the program really focuses on developing skills as a leader. So I would argue that in the time I've been with this organization, most of my contributions have been from the individual contributor perspective. Uh So I get assigned a task, I perform the task, and I do so uh, with the, the best of my ability at the quality that's expected and the speed that's expected as well. Ultimately, though, I think I can have a bigger impact on the organization if I'm able to support other people on the team. Um, and that could look like a coaching role or a mentoring role or a leadership role. But I want to be able to convey some of the experience and the passion I have for this organization to a broader group within the organization. Okay. This program really allows me to do a couple of things. So it is mentoring focused, which means that I will learn the skills as a mentor so that I'm able to support not only my own development as I go through my time in this organization, but also, and based on the organization's wishes, of course, help support the growth of other individuals in the organization and scale it in departments where there's value. Okay. I, I do appreciate you bringing the information to me. And I like knowing, you know, kind of your your goals too, your objectives, your career plans here. We are always looking out for the future leaders of the organization and mm-hmm. trying to groom them over time. And I, I would be supportive of looking at this more closely with you. I just have to tell you, I don't have any way to do this right now. We don't have budget assigned for this. If you could revisit this with me when we do your performance review, I know now that you're aware of this. Give me a a ballpark of what we'd be looking at for a budget for this. Yeah, that's a fair request. So right now, the program I'm looking at is about Uh $5,000. It runs for a five-day week. It's experiential. So it would be off-site training where there's a combination of in-class sessions, role-playing exercises. There's also some pre-homework and some post-homework that I can certainly engage yourself and the business with to show you kind of the whole trajectory. Um, and at the end of it, I'll be certified as a, as a mentor um, and an individual that can be leveraged across functions of the organization. Um, let me ask you a question. So uh-huh. I appreciate the fact that it's budget season in three months, that that's the appropriate time to, to ask. If I was able to come back to you with a business case that would justify the spend in this fiscal year and be able to demonstrate a quantifiable ROI that you could take to the bank, would you be willing to have the conversation more quickly than three months from now? I'd be interested if you had a positive ROI. Okay. I'll, I'll tell you, I'm skeptical because I think three months is a short time frame to see a real ROI come about. The other thing that would help me too, and, and I admit, Matt, this is probably more work I should be doing, but I'm just, I'm a little bit overwhelmed with some other tasks right now. If you could go talk to Joe in HR and find out if the training program you're looking at, if we've had other people in the organization do it already, or if it has been investigated already, and bring that information back also, that would be really helpful to me. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And to be clear, I have not done the analysis with respect to the ROI yet. I have a high-level estimate. I think the work still needs to be done, and I'm, I'm quite happy to do that work and bring it back to you to substantiate it. And clearly, if it doesn't have the, the, the this fiscal year payback, I'm quite happy to have the conversation with you in terms of next fiscal year. Three months is not a long time to wait, especially in this business where time flies by because we're all so busy all the time. Yeah, so sure. No, no concerns there. In terms of talking to HR, happy to do so. Uh, happy to have the conversation to ensure that my request aligns well with uh, past requests from the order. That sounds great. And I'd be glad to talk more. And again, I, I am glad you came stop by the, this Friday morning. Uh, you're certainly a valuable contributor to the team. And I, I think someone that we would like to see grow in, in leadership responsibilities. Thank you so much for saying that. So thanks, Matt. Um, yeah, just let me know when you have the ROI information available and when you've talked to HR. Sure, I'll book some time on your calendar for the end of the week. Okay, so back to the interview. Mm. So you have more experience with this from an HR perspective than I do. Anything else that you would have tweaked in that conversation or changed uh, for 
you know, maybe a, a more challenging manager or a more enthusiastic manager? Here's, here's the caveat I'll make before I make this comment. I live in ambiguity and I live in conflict. So generally, I get called to situations when we've exhausted all the, the traditional means of, of negotiation. Mm. So I'm very comfortable operating in an environment where I'm not sure of what the response is going to be. Other mm. individuals may want to prepare themselves in advance of these conversations. But if you know the manager you're working with and you know kind of the spectrum in which they're going to respond to issues, whether it's going to be, you know, defensiveness and resistance up front or whether it's going to be something you need to follow up with them on because they're not good with details, understanding those parameters is really important. Um, with individuals who are difficult, I would look for what are the levers that you need to pull in order mm-hmm. to get the individual on side. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in, in the, you know, it could be, could be your CFO who is very, very, very bottom line focused and looking at things purely through a financial lens. In right. that case, any qualitative argument is not going to resonate. And I wouldn't be introducing that as part of the conversation, either in the first attempt or certainly not in any escalated attempt. Mm-hmm. Um, by the same token, if I'm working with somebody in human resources who may have more of a qualitative, holistic view of this particular program, I will mention the ROI, but I'll spend more time talking about how it fits in with the company's culture and how it fits into my development and how I fit into the company's future. Because mm-hmm. that's what I'm looking to hear. You have to think about when you're making a request, I always assume the other person wants to say yes. So I'm looking to give them the reasons that they can say yes to. And that's a comment upon the person making the request. In my right. And, and that's a good perspective to have of just walking into it, right? Expect the mm-hmm. yes. And I think you're much more, much more likely to get a favorable response. Expect the yes, but understand that the yes is predicated on you doing the homework mm-hmm. and conveying your request and your ROI in a compelling and articulate fashion. Yeah. Just walking into the room saying, I'm here, where's my money? Probably not going to work in 99% of the organizations, but taking the time to do the research, to do the homework, to actually have come in with something prepared will put you in a really good position with most managers because they're going to know, A, you're serious. B, you've done the work, which indicates you're likely to do the work upon the training. I think the concern in most organizations with training, and training is a hot potato in most companies because depending on your view of training, it's either an overhead or it's an investment. Hmm. And you know, it, with respect to training, there are lots of examples of times where individuals at all levels of all organizations go off to training and get zero ROI. Mm-hmm. So most organizations are trying to guard against spending money that is unnecessary where they can spend it in areas that have a more quantifiable ROI. So if you can do that work and demonstrate that proficiency going into the conversation, it's five times more likely that you're going to walk away with a yes. Yep. Yeah, that's really good advice. If I was talking to the more challenging manager who just was not interested in having this discussion now, if I could at least get agreement on, well, could I go talk to HR to find out what programs people have gone to in this organization. In my mind, that seems like I might just be broadening the network a little bit, maybe bringing in a little bit of prayer pressure if I can find out that my boss's boss or someone else in our organization has supported these sort of things, that that could be helpful for the next discussion. Yeah. And I think I would, the only caveat I would have there, yeah. great advice would be is just ensure that your manager knows you're doing that. Right. So exactly. Manager, right. Gives you a hard no. And then you go around the manager and talk to somebody else and say, you, you want to ask the request. And that gets back to your manager. That may appear to be something that you don't want in terms of your brand. At the same time, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's an issue to challenge your manager in a respectful way and ask the question why. Sure. So a no is a no. Understand. 
Why is it a no? Is it me? Is it the organization? Is it timing? Is it money? Is it the, is it the relevance of this content to my development? Like, what is the no? Peeling back the layers of what that no means can allow you to address the root cause because if you don't address that root cause by go talk to HR, the answer is still going to be no. Yeah, and I wasn't suggesting going around. I think that would upset the manager uh, potentially, right? <laughs> yes, it would. But bringing it up in the conversation, I think, actually prepares for a better next conversation. Totally agree. And, and I'm pretty straightforward, right? If it's if it's a no, I really want this to be a yes at some point in the near future. So mm-hmm. tell me tell me why it's a no now, so we can make it a yes later. <laughs> Uh, this is all very helpful. Good information. Uh, you're clearly very good at positioning this too. Thanks for sharing the insights, Matt. Yeah. Listeners know I love a good innovation quote. What do you have for us? And tell us why you chose that one for us. When you made this request, I was really interested because I'm a big fan of quotes. Uh-huh. Um, because quotes are the things that stick with, at least for me, they stick with me for a long period of time. And one quote that I've I've been sitting on for few weeks now, a few months now is, is iteration is the key to innovation. So again, that's iteration is the key to innovation. And, and why I love that quote so much is I think we have a romantic view of innovation. Hmm. Like it's the Isaac Newton sitting under the tree and the apple falls on your head. Type right. of the, scenario. the vast majority of innovation comes through iteration. Absolutely. It comes from way at a problem, uh-huh. looking at a, a, an existing problem, maybe a, a half turn differently. And just having the stubbornness to understand that things can be better. That's generally where innovation comes. Somebody says, what's happening now doesn't make sense. It's just not good enough. We have to fix this. That's an excellent quote. And that is indeed how innovation occurs. The apple falling on your head and the the magic moment simply doesn't exist. When when you investigate all the examples, haven't found one yet where that really exists. We have a few happy accidents that led to something really interesting, but there was still iteration involved that led up to that accident. So it's a great quote. Thanks for sharing it. And it's a quote I don't know yet. So Well, and and Chad, here's what I'd offer from a personal phone perspective. I don't know about your listeners, but one thing I've struggled with in the past in my career is I tend to get in my own head a lot. So I tend to analyze issues um, and I tend to think about problems either you know, retrospectively or certainly in advance. And sometimes that, that thinking can be a, my own personal barrier to actually seeing progress. So understanding that innovation and excellence comes with action, action's a precursor to innovation. It really in, it inspires me or at least it frees me to take the action as opposed to spending time dwelling on the thought process. Right. Just, you know, a bias for action is so critical for innovation. Otherwise, the idea will never get off the ground. Exactly. It's the execution that makes the difference. And that's how we learn. We make mistakes along the way and we keep learning. Mm-hmm. And you're involved in a number of things. First, just I want to make sure that people know how to reach out to you and connect with you if you'll share that. And then anything else you'd like to leave us with? Yeah, no problem. Uh, I have a, a borderline addiction to LinkedIn. So the best place to reach me is probably on that platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm on there multiple hours every single day. So I would encourage your listeners to reach out to me with respect to LinkedIn with any direct messages they have. Um, I'm one of the lucky few people on LinkedIn that actually has hit their cap on connections. Wow, that's 30,000, isn't it? It's 30,000. Yeah, which I, I didn't know. And, and uh, <laughs> I, uh, frankly, it's a little bit awkward to tell somebody, hey, let's connect, but I, I can't say yes. 
Um, but here's what I can offer to anybody who wants to speak to me. My account is configured such that any messages to me directly are free for the person sending them. Um, in addition, uh, you can follow if you want to see my content. Um, I put video content on my platform on the LinkedIn profile probably two or three times a week. Uh, if you go back through my profile for the last several months, I have a number of videos from a number of global cities um, and some documentary work that I've been doing along with some overall thought leadership. So if you want to reach out to me on LinkedIn, that's where you can find me. And you know, there's lots of other places to go to. Great. And I will put the link to that in the show notes. And also, I, I do want to bring up, I know you've been working on this documentary about corporate culture. Can you just share a little bit of information on that? Yeah, actually, it's a great um, example of this idea of action before thinking in some cases. Um, I was inspired by way of an MBA program visiting a number of international cities. Um, and it really started from a place of my contention is that the current status of, of work as we know it is broken. Hmm. I don't think it makes sense. I don't think it, it works for the employers or the employees going forward. And I think we need to change it. I think that's an accepted um, understanding in most uh, circles that I talk with. So for me, the best way to see change, and I've led a number of transformational change projects that are cross-functional, the best way to see change is to tether together a bunch of disparate individuals who all have the same goal and purpose, align them around that future state, and then move forward as a group versus as individual parties. So for me, the documentary was a means to surface some of those best practices in a number of jurisdictions around the world, mm-hmm. understand their perspectives, the pain points, as well as the opportunities in these jurisdictions, and then wrap that content in an entertaining manner that would increase the not only the distribution of the content, but also increase the access to individuals to see the content. Um, my contention is that by spreading messages through an entertaining medium, it's more likely to have to resonate, more likely to prompt conversation and discussion, yep. and more likely for people to add do their own research on the side. Yep. Uh, at the time that this recording or this interview is made available, mm. it's probably around July. What's the state of the documentary? And for people that want to just find out more about when it does become available, how could we do that? So the documentary is entitled The Intersect, and that title is predicated on the fact that I believe um, the, the product, as long with my career going forward, is at the intersection of technology and culture. Mm-hmm. I think technology is an enabler of culture. Uh, I think culture is our salvation going forward in business. Um, so in, the way, in terms of July, that, at that time, I should have something largely in draft form. By this time, you'll have a number of clips that I'll be sharing on my LinkedIn profile, kind of as teasers. Okay. Um, I've been sitting on about 30 hours of 4K content from Mexico City and Nashville that I need to go through and edit. Um, so that's what I'll be doing over the next several weeks. Um, and then working with some uh, some vendors around potential distribution and uh, you know sharing it with a broader audience. Great. So if I see anything on your LinkedIn profile at that time, I'll share a link to that as well. Absolutely. Thanks for your time. Thanks for helping us understand good professional ways that we can ask our manager or organization to help us pay for training and improve our ROI to the group. And I really appreciate the chance to talk with you. As do I, Chad. Thank you so much. Thanks again for listening to The Everyday Innovator, where you make your move from product manager to product master, gaining the influence and confidence you need to create products customers love. Find the summary of the discussion with Matt at TheEverydayInnovator.com slash 186. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit our blog at TheEverydayInnovator.com.